Praise the Lord, everybody. This is Pastor Fields here. And once again, you know, it's Wednesday evening. And what we do every Wednesday evening is we come together as a family and we go into the word of the Lord. And I always say, let's get into God's word so his word can get into us. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord has kept us all day and I'm so happy. I'm so grateful that the Lord has decided to keep us here in the land of the living, giving us another opportunity to go into his word and to fellowship. Yep, virtual fellowship coming together. I'm, I'm happy about it. I look forward to these moments and for this time, I want to give the saints an opportunity to come on in as we prepare our hearts and minds for the reception of God's word. As you can see, today I decided to stay in my office and uh, teach Bible study from here uh, and to share God's word with you. And as you know, we have been in the series. We started a brand new series uh, entitled, Let's Talk About the Church. Let's go into prayer. Father, we love you so much and we're so grateful for this opportunity Come together as your people, O oh Lord, to go into your word. I pray, Lord, that you would touch us, encourage us, heal us, deliver us. Whatever we need, we pray that you would perform it through your word. Touch us one by one, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you tonight. As stated, we have started a new series entitled, Let's Talk About the Church. And we're in the book of Philippians, Paul's epistle, uh, the book of Philippians. Uh, and Paul writes this book, and it's considered one of the mountain peaks of biblical revelation. And as we first stated, it's not rooted uh, so deeply into doctrinal controversy or correction, or is not dealing with pastoral problems. Uh, as it does in his other writings, in his epistles, uh, but it's full of overflowing revelation. And Paul receives these revelations through uh, having such a wonderful and powerful and consistent prayer life. Uh, the Lord revealed certain things unto him, and so much so until Peter had to say, this fellow, he receives things that are difficult for even me to understand. Uh, but the Lord would open it up to him, and Paul would write them down and share what the Lord had given unto him. The theme of the book of Ephesians, we know, is Christ and the church. Uh, and Paul is letting us know, letting the people of God know, uh, that I'm longing for you to advance. I want you to do more than just say what church you belong to. I want you to grow uh, beyond your church affiliation or the name of your organization. I want you to grow in Christ, grow in God, grow in grace, and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, so uh, he's teaching and telling and pushing and admonishing them to advance, to advance, to advance in love, wisdom, uh, revelation of uh, the Father, 
of glory. We find those words in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Uh, and we know from reading the first three verses that Paul is teaching some biblical revelations, some things the Lord showed him concerning the church uh, in the first three chapters. Uh, he teaches us that the church is the body, the temple, and the church is a mystery. The church is a body, a temple, and a mystery. I started last week on uh, the third chapter. I, I, as in other times, I, I went backwards. I started at the end, and I'm coming back to the front. Uh, so we started last week in the third chapter. We talked about the fact that the church is a mystery. Now, if you need those notes, you know you can download them. They're attached to this session. Uh, each Wednesday, you can download the actual notes that I'm using uh, to teach this class and other classes that we teach. All right, so, um, all right. Um, so let's get into the to the lesson. I'm, I'm just looking at my notes because I don't want to miss anything. Uh, I want to get into this lesson. So last week, we're in the third chapter. Tonight, we're in chapter two of the book of Ephesians. And we're going to talk about the church as being a temple. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. This is the anchor portion of our lesson. And it sounds like this. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times Gentiles, and time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who have made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief, cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Wonderful passage of scripture. Uh, so here we are in the book of Ephesians, the second chapter, and Paul, uh, he is talking to a Gentile congregation uh, going in, uh, telling them about their 
place in God. He's encouraging a group of people, uh, no doubt, who are going through criticism, ridicule, because they are not of Jewish persuasion. Uh, and there is astonishment, amazement, bewilderment. Some have become uh, jaded or angry because the Holy Ghost has a nerve to fall on those who are not of Jewish persuasion. These are Gentiles. Paul is a, the apostle to the Gentile, and he's preaching the gospel, and the gospel is doing what the gospel is meant to do, tearing down walls, penetrating the hearts of men and women, so they would open their mouths and say, what must I do to be saved? The Holy Ghost is falling. The gospel is being preached. The church is growing. Now we got all these people who are being brought into the church. That was the mystery, how God would save people of other persuasions, other nationalities, and call it his church. Now, um, we begin in chapter two now, talking about another aspect of the church. Last week, again, was a mystery. This week, we're talking about the church as being a temple. Uh, and he's reminding the Ephesian congregants of their new life. You have a new life now. My Lord, I felt that. Put it in the comment section. I have a new life now. Uh, remember that song we used to sing, life now is sweet and my joy is complete for I'm saved, saved, saved. He's reminding them that they have a new life now in Christ. And he talks about uh, three characteristics that mark the condition of a person uh, that does not have Christ. And he's doing this comparison uh, to remind them that God has taken you out of where you were and brought you to where you are. And he knew where you were. He knew what you did. He knew what you said. Uh, but he still had a plan of salvation for you. Uh, and so he develops uh, this little segue into bringing them into a gratefulness for their new position, their new state of being. Uh, and he gives them three characteristics that mark the condition of a person that does not have Christ. And it's actually describing them. This was you before you knew Jesus. Number one, uh, in verses two through three, Ephesians chapter two, verses two and three, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or behavior. In the Greek is behavior. In time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So in those three, those two verses, he pulls out three things that uh, signify the condition of those who don't have Christ. Uh, and he says, uh, you live in sin and you follow the desires and cravings of your sinful nature. The second thing is you followed and you obeyed the devil, uh, the prince or the ruler of the power of the air. You, you did whatever the prince of that world told you to do. Yes, you did. And because you were without Christ, uh, you were subject to the wrath or the anger of God. So three things in these two verses 
You were living in sin and you were following the desires and the cravings of your sinful nature or your flesh. Number two, you were following Satan and doing whatever he told you to do. Number three, you were subject to the wrath or the anger of a holy God. Do you remember? Do you remember what you were like before God saved you? Hallelujah. Do you remember how messed up you were? How separated you were? He tell, he's telling them without Christ, you were a mess. You were a mess. Uh, before Christ, I have in my notes, before Christ, we were spiritually dead. And the person who's spiritually dead has no life by which they can respond. You're not breathing. Certainly, you can't respond to anything that's spiritual. Uh, a spiritually dead person, uh, and this is what he's signifying, a spiritually dead person has been alienated from God and you're alienated from life. I dare say you're alienated from eternal life. You have no capacity to respond. Um, I was reading the other night uh, a quote, uh, some words by a, a Scottish theologian. His name is uh, John Eady. And he says these, these words, it is a case of death walking. He's, he's describing what it was to live without Christ. And he says, we were like, we were like somebody walking in their sleep, but you're walking in death. You're like a zombie. Uh, he says, look, he says, men apart from God are spiritual zombies, the walking dead who do not know they're dead. They go through the motions of life, but they do not possess it. Uh, in the state of spiritual death, the only walking or living a person can do is according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So Paul is making it clear to them, you all were a mess uh, when the Lord found you. And he makes it clear that the course of this world follows the leadership and the design of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, so let's let's briefly talk about this. This, this is exciting. Uh, and we need to remember where the Lord has brought us from, uh, the fact that God took us from a dirty place, a shot, glory, and brought us into a place of cleanliness and holiness and righteousness. We were without God. But look at us now. Uh, we are saved now. The Lord has saved us. Yes, Lord. I feel like having church already. Put it in the comment section. I'm saved now. Yes, I am. I'm not what I used to be. Uh, so by the time he gets to verse 8 uh, of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, uh, he's reminding them what you're saved now. He says, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of ourselves. So then what does it mean to be saved? And I need to, I need to take this little sidebar and get into this because, you know, we're living in a day where where everybody's saved. Everybody's talking about saved, but it's not true. Everybody's not saved. Uh, but if you're not saved, I want you to know you need to get saved. Yeah. Uh, you can't just lift your hands and say, I'm saved. You got to give your life to the Lord uh, and he will save you. He's, he's preaching and teaching here uh, that uh, salvation 
the source of my salvation, the source of my salvation. Listen, uh, Paul is a little deeper than than the surface, and, and I don't mean to make small what we normally link on to and lay so heavy on. And, and let me explain, uh, especially in our environment, uh, we want to know if you spoke in tongues. Did you speak in tongues? Did you speak in tongues? Now, yes, when a person gets filled with the Holy Ghost, they will speak in tongues. Yes, it is the evidence. It is the evidence that Jesus Christ has entered in to me. The old folks used to say it's the initial evidence. When the Holy Ghost falls and comes into your life, you're going to speak in tongues. And that is very true. Uh, but Paul is not talking about that. He's, he's talking about the source of our salvation. The evidence of it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, yes. But the source of it is the grace of God. Had it not been for his grace, the Lord wouldn't have taken a look at me at all. He would have just kept on going because we're not worthy. Hallelujah. So it's the grace of God. Uh, he says he's teaching that salvation source is grace and the means of salvation is faith. I had to believe he must first believe that I am. Have you received since you believe? We believe by faith to be saved. We believe by faith to be saved. I'm going to take you somewhere. Uh, stay with me that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And now there are some who say once you once you confess and, and once you say I believe you are saved. And I differ with that because uh, when they asked the apostles on the day of Pentecost after hearing uh, Peter's wonderful sermon, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent, be baptized mm -hmm. into the name Lord Jesus for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He told them how to be saved. Now you have to read further, verse 10 of Romans 9, for with the heart men believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So here Paul is talking about the source and the means. The source is grace, the means is faith. And we believe, we had to come to him and believe that he is our savior. He is our deliverer. And we had to confess unto him our sins. We had to repent, turn from our sins and confess. That's why Paul said it is unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Hallelujah. So he says, we believe by faith to be saved, but would never choose to believe apart from the grace of God operating in our lives. And Paul is preaching then that salvation would never be available. It would never be available to me other than as a result of God's grace. His grace made it available unto me. Hallelujah. I feel like having church right in my office. It would have never been available. Hallelujah. Had it not been for the grace of God. So both parts are important. If you're going to talk about salvation, yes, you have to talk about grace and faith as well. Yes, I've been born again. I've been filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, but it had it not been for the grace of God, 
it would not have even been available unto me. So immediately after this declaration that Paul makes, uh, he's reminding them of where the Lord has taken them from. He's reminding them of the fact that now you have been born again, you are saved. And had it not been for God's grace, you wouldn't even be where you are right now. You would have been discounted. You would have been thrown in the garbage can. This Bishop, Bishop Chris Dobbins used to preach a wonderful sermon. I, I remember as a, as a young boy, uh, there was a portion of his sermon where he say, said, God picked him out of the garbage can, <laughs> pulled him out of the garbage can and cleaned him up. Hallelujah. So he doesn't want to, he doesn't want the Ephesians to think that salvation is based upon anything that they did or anything that they did or could ever do. No action is good enough. There's no amount of money that you could pay for salvation. Uh, no good deeds you can do uh, to wash away the sins that you've committed. Nope, you have to do it the Lord's way. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. You know, I'm just laying a foundation before we get into this. Uh, it's a gift that only God can provide. Only God can give you eternal life. Uh, so this is why Paul said, I was told to just to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the gospel. It was up to you now to receive it and believe it so you can, hallelujah, have privy to, or you will be able to obtain the salvation that God through his grace and according to your faith is making available to you. Hallelujah. He made it available to me. I'm saved now because of his grace. Hallelujah. So the Lord provides salvation. He's reminding us of all of this. So now let's dive into this lesson. Let's, let's, let's get into this lesson uh, because he's, he's um, talking to them heavy now and he's dealing with some things that perhaps they were not used to, to hearing, but he's pulling them uh, a little closer and deeper into a revelation of God's word and who he is and what God had to do to get them to where they were. Uh, so now, uh, by the time we get to verse 11, uh, he's explaining how those who are saved by grace through faith in Christ have become a part of a family. He says, okay, now you're, you're saved and the Lord has pulled you in and made you part of a single family. So the church here now, uh, I could have added a fourth aspect, not just body, temple, and mystery, but he's he's referring now and saying that the church is a family. We are a family. Hallelujah. And uh, he says, by the grace of God, we have become a part of this family. You know, uh, understand the mentality when Paul is, is pastoring back then because there were there were Jews who considered the Gentiles to be unclean and inferior. You're dirty and you're not good enough to be a part of the family. Could you imagine that? It's it's not your choice. It is it is not up to you to tell God who to save. But they felt like they had such a monopoly on this that they could be snobbish and look down on those who were not of Jewish persuasion. So they felt like these Gentiles, these heathens that are coming in here, 
not only are you dirty, but you are inferior. So he's, he's explaining, when I say he, I mean Paul, he's actually in explaining to them because of the gospel, because of the word of God that you heard and you have received, the gospel has extended three things to you. Uh, and these verses that I read earlier, verses 11 through 22, there are three things that the gospel extends to us who are considered unclean and inferior. He said, it's this gospel that gave us hope, promise, and a relationship. I have hope now, and I have the promises of God. Yes, I do. And I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hope, promise, and relationship. Hallelujah. My hope goes beyond what I see on this earth. And every promise that he has made, I can lock on to it. It's part of my inheritance. And I have a relationship with him. Doesn't, doesn't matter what anyone thinks or how other people feel. I have a personal relationship now with the Lord Jesus Christ. So most of the Ephesians, uh, most of the Ephesian church, this congregation, 90% of them, were Gentiles. 90% of these folks were Gentiles. Uh-huh. And um, so Paul, uh, history would prove that frequently Paul would find himself uh, countering anti-Gentile sentiment. Now this is this is in the church. This is this was a kind of racism back then in the church. There was an anti- Gentile sentiment. Don't talk to her. She she's not Jewish. Don't talk to him. Uh, you know where he came from. The nerve of the nerve of these people. And Paul, oftentimes, even with Peter, he had to deal with Peter on one on one occasion because he noticed uh, that as long as there were no Jewish brethren around, he'd sit down and eat with the Gentiles. But as soon as some of the Jewish brethren came around, he'd get up from the bench and move over somewhere else and fellowship. And Paul said, "You can't do that." We can't bring that nonsense in here. Don't bring your racism into the family. Um, yes, I'm talking to that white evangelical. Don't bring that racism into the family. He didn't save us according to our color. He forgave me of my sins. He washed me in the same blood that he washed you in. Hallelujah. And he put us all in the family. By one spirit, I'll be baptized. I'm going to preach on this. Yes, I am. So uh, Paul oftentimes had to deal with that anti-Gentile attitude among uh, various churches. And he would go to the council. And I said last week, he would bring his sons with him, Titus and Timothy. And, uh, you know, he would bring some of these uh, Gentile saints with him. And, you know, could you imagine coming to a convention and, and because you're too dark, or because they know what side of town you come from, or because you're of a different race, they didn't want to say praise the Lord. Yeah, even then they had to deal with that kind of nonsense. Uh, and and listen, the Holy Ghost don't care nothing about the color of my skin. Holy Ghost tears down barriers. When Jesus died on the cross, the petition was torn down. There's not supposed to be any kind of division among the people of God. No kind of division. No kind of division. So um, 
Paul, uh, in the next section, I would say verses 11 through 13, uh, and I'll read it for you. Uh, and, you know, and there's so many verses, but there's not enough time. I don't want to keep you too, too long. And I already know I'm probably going to have to come back to this, uh, maybe call it something else, but hit it again. But he says these words, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, you were called uncircumcision. Now he's referring to the racist attitudes they had to deal with. The Jews called, well, come over here, you uncircumcised person, you. They're calling them dirty and nasty. You were called that. Instead of saying, praise the Lord, don't touch me, you're uncircumcised. By that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope. There's the hope. Uh, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So he's trying to get them to listen, don't worry about what people have to say. The same blood that washed them washed you and be now, yes, you were cut off. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You had no Christ in your life. You had no hope. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, you are brought nigh. Hallelujah. You are brought nigh. You are brought nigh. You are part of the family. Listen, this is, this is a blood thing. It's not a skin thing. It's a blood thing. It's not a nationality thing. He took his blood and washed away our sins. You were far off, but now you're made nigh by the blood, hallelujah, of Jesus Christ. So uh, this is the state. This is this is what, what it's all about. You were you were a mess, you were disconnected. Hallelujah. Before you were converted, you were out there, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are made nigh. Hallelujah. And, and it's it's really relating to everybody, no matter who you are, whether you realize it or not. Before Christ, you were disconnected. Hallelujah. Before the blood had the opportunity to wash you, you were a mess. I don't care who you are, who your mama is, or what side of the tracks you live on. Hallelujah. We've all been made to drink out of the same cup. So he's writing to people who not long ago, though, were full-blown full heathen. Yes, it's true. I was a mess. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I was out there in the street. It, it's true. I'm. I was a heathen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me. I want to talk a little bit about about what it meant back then, uh, especially to an Ephesian to be a heathen. This this is where they came from. Paul Paul is really understanding this, and at the same time telling them God knew you were dirty and nasty. Hallelujah. But he still washed you and brought you into the family. They were full-blown pagans, participants in a religion that was totally different than serving Christ Jesus. It was, it was a cult. The name of the God that many of them worship, the name of the God Artemis. Uh, and, and Artemis is where we get uh, that fertility stuff from, Easter. Yeah, maybe I need to dig into this. It's, it's not Easter, it's Resurrection Day. But uh, Artemis is the mother or the goddess of fertility, right? And during Easter, they have all these bunnies running around and hopping around. 
All of that is pertaining to a heathenistic, ritualistic religion that deals with Mother Earth and the mother of uh, fertility, right? Uh, and they were involved in magic and sorcery and witchcraft, uh, and they mixed other religions into this. But when they heard the gospel, the anointing fell and pulled them out of that, pulled them out of sin, pulled them out of darkness into the marvelous light. Don't let nobody push you back to where you were and tell you you belong back there. No, I don't belong back there. God pulled me out of that. And now I'm saved. Now I'm saved. I don't care what you say. Now I'm saved. Yes, I was there. Yes, I did that. Yes, I was a filthy mess, but I'm saved now. Hallelujah. I'm saved now. And, and he, so he points out uh, in verse 12 about five different things concerning uh, what it was like. Again, you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship. Uh, of being a, an Israelite. No, you, you were not one of them, but uh, now you're a child of God. You're in a, you're in a family of God-fearing, Holy Ghost-filled people, separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship. You were uh, foreigners, separated or alienated. You were an alien. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You had no rights Nobody respected you, thought you were nobody. You had no hope. Hallelujah. You had no hope. I was out there and I had no hope, but I have hope now. And you were without God in this world, without God. Hallelujah. You had no relationship, but now I have hope. Now I have his promises. And now I have a relationship with God. We're going to dig into this. Oh, yes, we are. We're going to dig into this. So now um, he's saying, uh, never mind what they say, because of this salvation, God has taken people from here, taken people from there, and he has made us one, right? He has made us one. Remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden when he said, Lord, make them one, Right, And it seems like people fight so hard to keep us divided. But Jesus prayed, the will of the Father is that his people stop all of this foolishness and come together. We have the same Father, the same Holy Ghost, the same blood has washed us. Why are we so divided? So um, when he gets to verses 13 through 15, by the time he gets there, uh, this is what he's talking about. He says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. He is our peace. There ain't no fighting and bickering. Where did you come from? You have no, no, he is our peace. You have a problem with me, go talk to the father because he, he made me a part of the family. You don't like me. You don't like my dark skin. You don't like me for whatever reason. Go talk to my daddy because he made me part of the family. He sets the solitary of the family. Yes, he's our peace who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of petition. He's, he tore the wall down, tore the wall down so nobody can say I don't belong. 
Nobody can get upset because God loved me enough to save me. He says, having abolished in his flesh the amnity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. That is powerful. So, but now, Christ, right? In Christ, you were once far away. You have been brought near through his blood. He has become our peace. So the law, listen, the law was a barrier between us and the Jew. Uh, and, and it caused hostility. Mm -hmm. Christ, listen to my notes. Christ, the Prince of Peace, becomes our peace and speaks peace to us. Then in himself, he unites Gentile Jewish believers into a single new humanity. Hallelujah. Which is the generic word for human and does not indicate gender, masculine or feminine. We're just family. It does not implicate nationality. We're just family. Hallelujah. Our word anthropology comes from this root the new man, the new humanity. However, Christ is himself and all of us are incorporated. Listen to this. He is himself and he is incorporated. And this is where the chapters start overlapping because last week, chapter three talks specifically about mystery. This week, we're going to get to the fact that he says that we're a temple. Now, even in chapter two, he says we're one body. We have been intertwined into his body, incorporated into his body. So, And the result should be, if we're all claiming that we're a part of the body, the result of this should be peace, concord, well-being, something of the favor of the Hebrew shalom. Remember, I always say it, shalom, shalom. There should be peace among us. Oh, she's family. There should be peace among us. Oh, he's family. There should be peace among us. Oh, they're family. We're the people of God, washed in his blood. We were a mess and the Lord saved us. We're family. Hallelujah. Yeah. I don't care who your pastor is. If you've been washing the blood of the lamb, filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, we're family. Hallelujah. And this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death our hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. That's the next thing he talks about. The fact that not only has he made us one, but he's given us all access. I just read 16, verses 16 through 18 for you. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go to 17. And came and preached peace to you, which were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of trouble. That's for everybody now. If we're all family, all of us, any of us can come to the Father boldly. And he won't look at us and he won't treat 
the black one different than the white one. He won't treat the Jewish one different than the Gentile one. Because in, in his eyes, we've all been washed in his blood and we are one family. We're also fellow citizens, right? So uh, now we're in the now. Uh, that was back then, but now we're in the family. We're all together now. We've been filled with the Holy Ghost. We've made, uh, we've been made one, and we should have peace among us. Um, we have access to the Father. And now in verse 19 of the book of Ephesians, uh, and the first portion of it, he said, Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers. No more strangers, but we're fellow citizens. We're no more strangers, but we are fellow citizens. No more strangers, but fellow. Uh, so, and, and this is a privilege. We're, we're spelling it out. We're, we're fellow citizens. Uh, no more foreigners, right? No more aliens. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But we are part of a household of God. I love the word of God. Listen to this. Listen to what Pastor Paul is sharing with these Gentiles who are being ridiculed by those who feel like they are too dirty uh, and too nasty to be called children of God or part of a church. He says, you're no more strangers or foreigners. You're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I'm in the house. <laughs> I'm in the household of God. Listen, we're going through a pandemic, right? Uh, you, you're not able to come to the church, but you're still a part of the household of God. I'm going to have church in here all by myself. I don't know about you. Listen, uh, so we're fellow citizens. We're saints. Hallelujah. And we have been consecrated. We've been saved. We've been washed. Hallelujah. We are part of a royal family of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 11, verses 16 through 21. For if the first fruit, I'm sorry, be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say, then the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Hallelujah. He's talking about the fact that there were those who rejected Jesus. Hallelujah. So, so God took some other branches, that's me and you, and grafted us in. That will say, then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. So we're fellow citizens, yes. And there were those who were so... I, the only word I can think of is they was crazy. They rejected the salvation of God. They rejected the messiahship of God. They came among it. He came among his own and his own received him not. And they were broken off. 
Hallelujah. So Paul is saying, but if it hadn't been, uh, thank God, and, and perhaps I might be wrong for saying thank God, but that broken branch gave me a chance to be grafted in. And salvation was always, even from the Old Testament, we were always included in his plan. And he took me from where I was. I was laying on the ground. I don't even know how he how he got me the way he got me, but he grafted me in. Paul, Paul was into some heavy stuff, and he's laying it out for us, hallelujah, and consistently being a good pastor, he's telling his Gentile converts, don't let anybody succeed in making you feel bad about your salvation. You're in the household of God. You're members of this household. Ephesians 2, 19, hallelujah, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now, now Paul, after saying all of this, now he brings us to a place where he said, we are a holy temple. Let's talk about the church. Yes, we are a holy temple, a holy temple. Put that in the comment section. We are a holy temple. By the time he gets to verse 20, he's hitting it hard. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together growing. Unto a holy temple in the Lord. What is he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about you. Yep, you. He's talking about you, and he's talking about me. Let's talk about the church. We are a holy temple. My Lord. Now listen, he's not he's not reading a sign on top of the building. He's not riding down the neighborhood, uh, choosing the name of any particular uh, local church. He's talking about the church. The church triumphant, the, a group or a body of born-again believers. We are the church, but now he's, he's speaking of the fact that all of us together are a holy temple. Mm -hmm. Having begun the, uh, the analogy of the concept of household, family, mm -hmm. his thought now moves into another meaning of house or building. Talks about us as being a, a temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, in him, all of us are joined together. He says, joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So fitly joined together and all of us together it rises as a holy temple of the Lord. So what does what does Ephesians 2 then in 21 mean? Let's, let's talk about the church in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. Well, we're part of a structure. We part we are part of whose structure? We are part of God's structure, the church, the church which exists as a holy temple in the Lord. And 
He's the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets are the foundation. And the other believers, my brothers and sisters, are the additional parts. We are all part of this temple. So I need to stop treating you like you're not part of the, of the temple. We're all part of the temple. And whom ye also, and whom ye also, and whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Beautiful. Hallelujah. Listen, and um, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, he says these words. And uh, he's referring to our bodies as being a temple. Remember? First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verses 19 and 20. What now know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hmm. Let's go to first John chapter one. So here uh, in Corinthians, he's saying my body is a temple, right? Each believer's body is a temple. Uh, and it's a, he's giving us a slightly different word picture, and, and, but the, it's relevant to the context of what we're talking about. Uh, so we have to see ourselves, each of us, as a temple of God, and we have to take care of the temple. We can't defy, defile the temple because he's living in the temple. Uh, listen to my notes. Additionally, we have to serve as part of a holy temple that includes other believers. We are to seek to live pure as a church body, to be pleasing to God in our worship. Both aspects are great importance to God. Now, let's go to 1 John. First chapter, verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why did I read that? Because he's telling us how to keep the temple clean. Yeah, because even after you get the Holy Ghost, you're not going to think, always think the right thought. You're not always going to do the right thing, say the right thing. So you have to keep the temple clean. In the Old Testament, they had to clean the temple physically, actually go into the temple and clean it out. Make sure it was clean. Right. Same thing now, because we are the temple. Our bodies are the temple. Our body is a temple. All of us fitly joined together, rise up as a temple. And the spirit abides in us, but he's telling us how to keep the temple clean. Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Here, the apostle John is saying, confess your sins. Don't walk around saying, oh, I, I got the Holy Ghost, I'm saved. I don't never do anything wrong. No, he says, confess your sins. And the one who saved you was faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So. Um, the structure then, and I'm hastening on because I don't want to hold you too long. Uh, the structure has several important parts. The foundation, right? The foundation. 
And I'll read a few scriptures according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation <laughs> and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Mm. Romans 15 and 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. First Timothy 6, 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The foundation. What is the foundation then? I'm reading these scriptures. It's it is the apostles and the prophets, the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. That old covenant congregation and the teaching of the apostles to the new covenant congregation provide a firm foundation. Now, listen, these foundation people are no longer living, but their words are preserved for us in scripture. Paul's not alive today. John, James, Peter, the Old Testament saints are not alive today. Ruth and Esther and uh, uh, Elijah, I should say, and, and uh, Ezekiel, the prophets and the, the preachers, and they're not alive today, but they have laid a foundation. They have laid a foundation. The prophets, the apostles and the prophets. Now the cornerstone. Jesus is a part of that foundation. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter 2 and 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. Hallelujah. He's talking about Jesus. A sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. Yeah, the building or the structure. First Corinthians 3 and 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry and are God's building. We are God's building. We are God's building. We are God's building. Second Corinthians 5 and 1, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle would dissolve, we have a building of God. Mm -hmm. A house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. So all of us together are God's building. My personal body is the temple of God as well. Hallelujah. And when I pass away, I'm going to leave this building to go to another building that's not made with hands. The building is fastened together. All of us, and this is where Pastor Paul is when he's teaching this analogy of what the church is. Let's talk about the church. 
he says we are fasteners. And I'm going to skip into chapter 4 of Ephesians to, to pull this point out from whom the whole body, I'm in Ephesians 4 and 16, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And he's referring again to the fact that the body or the church as a body is joined together, right? No bolts, no nails, but we are joined together. Hallelujah. Wooden structures are joined together differently than the spiritual body of Christ. Yes, so uh, Jesus is the cornerstone and we are the parts of this body, of this temple, uh, and all of us together. Uh, let's go to Ephesians 2 and 22. Uh, we have become a dwelling place for God. And, and let me start in 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22. In whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. My God. We become a dwelling place for him. So Paul is coming to us. Um, and revealing a key divine purpose for both the universal church and each local congregation. He's, he's trying to say, should not be no division. Yes, we have different pastors, but we're all in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We're all part of that one building in whom ye two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So he's giving us a construction narrative or analogy. We are built together, built together. Listen to my notes to build up or construct the various parts built up together. You and I are not built for individual devotion and churchless lives. Hallelujah. We are to be built together with others. And when I say churchless, I don't mean buildingless. I'm not talking about a building. I mean to be to be disconnected means you're churchless, you're bodiless. Listen, if I cut my finger off, my finger has become bodiless. My God. If I cut my foot off, my foot has become bodiless. The only way you can say you're a part of the body is to stay connected. Got to stay connected. The temple has to stay in place, stay in peace. Listen, but Lord, some of those people in the church are hard people. Listen to my notes. We got people, we got saints saying, leave me alone. Don't bother me. I don't want a fellowship with you. I don't want to be a part of the building. That's what you're saying. Loving them is too difficult. I can't love her. I can't. There ain't no way I can do that. Ain't no way I can do that. Ain't no way. We got too many ain't no way saints in the church. Ain't no way I'm going to do that. You need to change your testimony. Mm -hmm. Listen, verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by 
Jesus Christ. Hmm. It, it's not, and I read that scripture to tell you that it's not, a, it's not an option for you to say, leave me alone. I don't want to be around you because if you're in the priesthood, we're all being called. We are all priests. How can you, how can you effectively pray, effectively intercede? Because that's what a priesthood does. If you don't want to be bothered, I made you a part of it. And you constantly tell me, I don't want to be connected to you. I don't want to. And now, I'm, listen, I'm not talking about sin issues and I'm not talking about all that because I know some of your heads are going those places. I'm just talking about plain, old fashioned selfishness, indifference. Right. Uh, the truth is because some of y'all didn't like nobody. You did. You was like that before you got saved. And God is trying to get you out of that. Uh don't, because salvation is not about being selfish and self-absorbed. We got to get out of self and be a part of the real church, be a part of the body. You can't even effectively exercise your gift if you act like that. I know I'm trying to help somebody. We are the temple. And one way of keeping that temple clean is being obedient and doing your part to keep us all together. That's why Paul is fighting so hard, saying, endeavor to keep the unity and the bond of peace. Endeavor. Don't let nobody separate. They'll die if they separate. They'll die. And people don't realize it when they want to run off, when they want to break off. You'll die. Hallelujah. So, um, we are a temple, all of us together. We are uh, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in God. A holy temple in God. A holy temple in God. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to stop. And I may have already gone too long. Um, but listen. Um, and, and this is what I want to ask. And I'm looking at my notes and I'm trying to figure out a different way to ask it. Um, but I'll just I'll just I'll just ask it the way it's written here. Are you are you a part of the temple? And, and what happens in, inside the temple? There is worship. There is praise. Um, there is prayer. There is sacrifice. There is intercession. Mm -hmm. All of that happens in the temple. And all of us, now that's, that's even in, in, in this temple, but all of us fitly framed together. There's prayer. There's worship. There's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Now, listen, uh, in the priesthood, the sacrifice is not just made for me. It's made for others also. Others also. Uh, and this is why Paul is, is stressing the fact that there should be peace because uh, because we're fitly joined together. There must be intercession. There must be sacrifice. There, there must be. A, a discernment, there must be a sensitivity to the needs and the hurts of others in order 
for the temple because it's a living, breathing organism. So are you a part of the temple? Um, are you a part of the temple? And listen to my notes. Your church is the temple of God in microcosm manifested in your community, right? A microcosm in your community. But the Lord's church is an organism. It's much larger than what you have in a community. We together, though, um, it doesn't matter whether you're part of a large, and I said this last week, a large mega church or a storefront church, right? We're all one. We're all an organism. And all of us together, we're one temple. And God should be able to walk among all of us. No division, no hatred, no indifference. We're all God's children. All of us together, right? Uh, one. Jesus is present where, listen, even if you only have two people in the living room, if, if you're united, he can be in the midst of them. He can be in the midst of two, just like he can be in the midst of 20 and 30 and 100 and a, or a million. Um, churches, temples of God's dwelling. Listen to my notes, our outpost of God's glory and presence and power in every community of the world. Without you and without me coming together, forming a temple, the church would be absent. The church would be absent. Uh, that might be one of the most powerful statements in the lesson, and let me see. Why? Because the church isn't really present if we're fighting one another. The church really isn't operating if we're not on one accord. <laughs> My God. The church isn't really operating if we're finding fault with one another and won't touch and agree with and pray and fight the enemy together. If we're divided, how can it stand if it's divided. The church divided against itself will, will what? It'll fall. So if we're going to be present, if we're going to operate and function like the church, then we have to be fitly joined together. Mm -hmm. We can't be absent. We got to show up and be the church. We got to show up and be the church. We got to be committed to this thing and become part of the temple or the congregation. I'm not talking about a, a that local stuff. I'm talking about the body of Christ. When Paul talks about the temple, he's, he's talking more about just one congregation. He's talking about we're all committed. We're all apart. Mm-hmm. Now, having my notes, then God dwells or he, he comes to dwell in that congregation and he makes himself known. He makes himself known. I hear that in my spirit. Tell my people to come together. Be that temple that I can dwell in. Come together in unity so I could walk among them. 
and make myself known. How does God do that? Miracles, signs, and wonders. Hallelujah. Deliverance. Make myself known. Let's talk about the church. Where we are, where we should be. Let's talk about the church. What God wants us to be. Revelation that Paul had was powerful. It was powerful. I don't know if I did it any justice, but I'll take another stab at it next week. He's not only a mystery, the church, but the church is a temple. Next week, we'll talk about the church as being a body. Want to pray? Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word on tonight. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you for our salvation. And we thank you, O oh God, for joining us together, building your church, your temple. Dwell among us, Lord. Help us to throw away our foolishness, racism, and, oh God, help us, oh God, to throw away this foolishness of indifference and treating others differently just because of where they come from. Help us to realize that we're one blood, one family. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Help your people so you can dwell among us the way you want to dwell among us and make yourself known. Hallelujah. So we'll be that church that is active in the world. We'll show up and do what the church is supposed to do. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Now, if you want to plant a seed in this ministry, you can do so. Uh, follow the instructions on the screen and plant those seeds. Those of you who are at the annex in the Bronx, you may use Givelify. Mm -hmm. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. You have a special uh, prayer request. Send it to admin at grtdc.org and someone in the staff uh, will take care of you. Well, you know what I'm going to say. I'm already thinking in my mind about next week. The Lord help us. We'll all meet again on next Wednesday. But until then, I want you to be careful, be prayerful, and be holy. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.